In a global industry where anything can happen, where mistakes cost much more than dollars, we bring you expertise from around the world to ensure that everyone goes home safe every day. The internationally acclaimed Oil & Gas HSE podcast starts now with your host, Russell Stewart. Hey everybody, thanks for tuning in to another episode of the internationally acclaimed OGGN HSE podcast heard in over 100 countries and sponsored by Anderson Hauser. Anderson Hauser is a global leader in measurement instrumentation services and solutions for industrial process engineering. And as a matter of fact, you can catch our sponsor at a trade show near you this fall. If there's going to be the Downstream USA 2021 in Houston, Texas on October the 21st and the 22nd. Also, there will be in Houston the Automation Fair, November the 10th and the 11th, and Anderson Hauser will be showcasing their portfolio of oil and gas application products, technologies, and services at these uh, trade shows. So if you get the opportunity to uh, be at any of these, please be sure and, and visit their booth. Also, we want to remind you about OGGN and their uh, special relationship with a company here in Houston called the Canon. The Canon has built the only global, virtual, and physical network of entrepreneurs, startups, investors, advisors, and other companies. The idea being to connect innovators of all types and from all backgrounds with all the resources they need to succeed. As a matter of fact, through OGGN's strategic partnership with the Canon and our other industry partners, there isn't an oil and gas resource or expert we can't provide for you, including our own speakers bureau for any conference or meeting you might need to fill a program. Just reach out to me uh, on LinkedIn for details regarding your particular situation. Also, for those of you who are in the Houston area, uh, the Canon is where we host the OGGN Famous Industry Mixers on the last Thursday of every month. Okay, so with that, let's get to our show today because I'm very excited to have Russell Holmes. Russell is the, and I like that name, Russell is, I you would. Russell is the director of the American Petroleum Institute's Center for Offshore Safety. Russell, we really appreciate you coming on the show today. Thanks, Russell. I appreciate it. You know, glad to be here as we connected, you know, just really just last week, you know, on different aspects that, you know, I've been in this role for about a year and a half now, telling you briefly that I retired from the Coast Guard after 27 years last year. And it's, you know, just kind of, you know, how things work out. And so in, in my last job within the Coast Guard, I was overseeing, you know, regulatory safety compliance for the offshore oil and gas industry and had a group of inspectors that would fly off and look at, you know, different safety compliance measures. And uh, so I'd interact with a lot of the different industry work with the Center for Offshore Safety, American Petroleum Institute and folks. And so sometimes you don't realize that in a sense, you're kind of being interviewed for a future job, even though you don't realize it yet. And so when the Coast Guard said it was time to retire and let some younger folks, you know, come into the Coast Guard and I was transitioning out, they said, hey, how about you come over to the Center for Offshore Safety? And so uh, one thing led to another. And so for the last year and a half, I've been fortunate to continue that journey of how can we do better? How can we be safer tomorrow than we were yesterday? And that's what I've been doing. Oh, that's great. Well, You've just thrown in a, another wrinkle here because I think our audience is uh, going to be really interested in hearing some more about Post Guard. 
what they do in relationship you know to uh, the oil and gas industry and especially safety and that sort of thing so american petroleum institute their national headquarters is in washington is that where you are so i'm actually in houston in houston okay so that's i guess there's well i, I know there's a, a houston office of of the api here so is that where you are so i am now so Really, the first 10 years of uh, COS's existence, they had, while they were part of API, for the most part, they stayed separate to really be independent and to really kind of have that independence from different aspects and truly focus just on safety. And then this past year or so, we've actually integrated and, and started to merge much more with API for some of the different things that we're doing. And so we physically merged with the Houston API office with the Center for Offshore Safety Office. And so we're now in a building uh, near in the energy corridor just off of I-10. Okay. All right. That sounds great. So tell us what the Center for Offshore Safety is doing to make sure we all come home safe. Yeah. So we're really trying to learn from you know different incidents that have happened and near misses and really try to share that information and really facilitate you know a collaboration of different discussions about what's working, what's not working, and where we can you know, really make improvements so that the workers can come home safely from offshore, you know, either every day or when in their different tours and trips that we're doing. And so really what our group does is it facilitates a lot of different work groups and collaboration. We really try to look at the data, see what's happening with the incidents, with deficiencies. One of the main roles for Center for Offshore Safety deals with safety environmental management systems and specifically related to the American Petroleum Institute's recommended practice 75 that really is what the Bureau of Safety and Environmental Enforcement regulates. And so COS is heavily involved in that. And there's a couple of different components that, that I'll talk about kind of throughout podcast today related to that. But it's really to get the different companies, because at the end of the day, safety is equal across everybody. You know, if one person has a failure in safety, it impacts everybody. And so trying to you know, make it kind of an equal playing field for everybody to be able to share and collaborate what they're doing that while they're, you know, there's still competitive advantages being safer than others. But at the end of the day, we all want to try to be safer. And so that's part of what my role is, to, is to really try to drive and facilitate people sharing their industry knowledge on the safety side and the environmental compliance and protection side so that everybody can ultimately improve and be more successful and safer so that everybody can get home at the end of the day and and not get hurt while they're offshore working and be able to come home safely to their loved ones. So this being this capacity or this trying to facilitate and together of all this data and to get people to share it and that sort of thing, do you have some kind of procedure or practice for that or how are you getting this done? We sure do, Russell. So we have a voluntary program with our member companies. And so we represent about 65% of the offshore operators from a work hours perspective that also includes some of the drillers and some of the service providers. And some of the things that we do with two major safety programs that you could say each year, talking about safety performance indicators, that we have different levels of different types of incidents that occur. And each year, companies will provide that data to us to be able to analyze it and look at what, you know, what do we have happened this past year and, and where can we focus some of our efforts? And then a, a related to that, we have a program called Learning from Incidents. And so basically you take some of that safety data from the different incidents that have happened over this year and you provide much more detail in, into that. 
with what happened, why it happened, and you know the basic things and where you can see areas for improvement. And so we take that different data and each year we put together an annual performance report that we actually post on our website. And then the last two years, in the past, we would normally talk about it at our annual safety forum. But the last two years, because we've been doing everything virtual, we actually did a webinar and, and would talk about the data and you know what we found from the data and then what we're trying to do. And at the end of the day, we're trying to use that data to drive further safety improvements offshore. And so I'll talk a little bit more and a little bit about what that really means and what we're truly doing related to that. But those are the two main programs that, that we use. And then we're also, we have a lot of conversations with Bessie, the Bureau of Safety and Environmental Enforcement, with the data that they collect. And then also uh, there's a group within the DOT BTS, Bureau of Transportation Statistics, where they also collect a lot of voluntary data through a program called Safe OCS for the Outer Continental Shelf. And they collect data voluntarily from different companies as well and are trying to be able to help shape and inform what that means from well control and then all sorts of other safety components that are offshore. So really, while we have our own program within COS, we're trying to collaborate with others as well to be able to more holistically look at all the different data and what are the indicators to help us focus on what we should be working on to try to improve offshore safety. Hey, it's Mark LaCour, Editor-in-Chief here at OGGN. Just a quick interruption to share a few things that are going on in October. We have not one, but two industry mixers this month, one on October 7th and one on the October 21st. Just check out our social. They're always great events, and the money that you help us raise goes to fight human sex trafficking, and you get to network with oil and gas executives. We have a new show just came out, Energy Transition Podcast. Also remember, we have 14 other podcasts for your listening pleasure. And then the end of this year, we'll be full media partners for the 23rd World Petroleum Congress, December 5th through 9th. The World Petroleum Congress has not been in Houston over 30 years, so make sure you put space in your calendar. Come check us out. And then finally, join the OGDN Street Team on LinkedIn. It's our all-volunteer group that's really going places. I'll see you again next month. Okay, so for me to get this information, I have to subscribe to some kind of program, or you said you posted the something on the website. Is all this information available on the website? It sure is, Russell. So for the Center for Offshore Safety, because we want people to have this information, pretty much all the information is free to anybody. We have, you know, a small due structure for people that are members that want to become members and be part of some of the different work efforts that we have. But for the most part, all of our information, all the different products that we put together is, are all free on our website. And this year, you know, how do we get that word out to people and the different information? So, for example, specifically with the annual performance reports, the last couple of years, last year and this year, because we did a webinar on it, we've actually posted those on our website and under our news and events section. And so anybody could go there and then they could watch and listen to the recording that basically provides a summary of the performance report. They could download the report. We also have the slides that we put together, kind of a presentation that gives a summary. And so people could look at the data themselves to kind of see, hey, what's this data? What are we seeing within this data? And what's it telling us? Oh, wow. Well, folks, just that right there was uh, worth the uh, price of admission today. That's tremendous that all this uh, information is available there on the website. Now, these webinars, which replaced, I guess, the actual annual meeting or whatever, what time of the year do those occur? So what we did is normally we'll have a two-day annual forum in person. 
and last year, and usually the second day, we'll have breakout sessions that talk about specific topics. And so we still did that last year. And then this year, we wanted to kind of put those webinars throughout the year, essentially kind of make them almost like workshops too, where people can communicate and collaborate throughout the year. And so what we've done this year is pretty much starting in May, we would have one each month throughout this year. And in some cases, they would highlight good practices that we had developed to be able to share some of the different you know, knowledge that we've developed or the different document that we've put together. You know, For example, because of COVID last year and the, and the pandemic, we had one about leadership site engagements. But with the pandemic and different things, it's kind of really made even that much more important. How do you engage with people when you can't do the walk around management? you know, leadership style, when you can't physically go see people and you're doing things more virtual in different aspects because of the different protocols that we, you know, different industry put into place to mitigate the spread of the pandemic this past year. And so, you know, really keeping that on the forefront of different folks. So we had a webinar and we updated our leadership site engagement about, you know, how do you go about listening, learning, engaging, you know, from the workforce in different aspects. And then, you know, different ones that we put together throughout the year were, we had one, for example, on crane maintenance. We've seen, based on a, a BESI performance-based you know, risk inspection, basically blitz where they go out for about two weeks and they focus on a topic across the industry and they look at different things. And so within the last couple of years, they had noticed that, hey, one of their things they found is that for cranes, for offshore cranes, a lot of times some companies have very preventive maintenance programs and some companies would have more of a reactive when it breaks, we'll fix it type of thing. And then also, even if you had a preventive program, not everybody who was truly the person that was accountable and truly tracking different components maybe within that crane system. And so they highlighted a gap. So our, our different companies that we get together and we get the crane specialists as well to be part of our you know, different work groups. And so they put together a crane maintenance tracker which was kind of a more of a general, here's how you would go about putting together a maintenance tracking system with ownership and different people. And, and you know, it's kind of more general geared so that companies can take that and then tailor it to their operations and their specific, you know, crane aspects. But one of the other things that we've seen is related to lifting incidents, which are one of the, you know, two major things that seem to occur every year. You have different lifting incidents where either people or equipment are getting hurt. And so how do you minimize all of those different aspects. And so we've seen that over time, between 25 and 35% of all lifting incidents relate to equipment failure. And so clearly there was a need to develop something to get people to really focus on the maintenance and tracking of that maintenance to recognize when do you need to change out different components within your crane. So that's you know one example of how we're trying to directly tie what we're seeing with the data and the incidents offshore to how we can provide some tools that people can reference and use. And for some companies, it's not as valuable. And for other companies, it's hugely valuable. And But part of what I see as a benefit too is just with the work groups, getting the different companies together to talk about what they're seeing and what they're doing and addressing related to cranes and crane maintenance and overseeing. And that's part of what I see is really valuable by being part of the Center for Offshore Safety. Now, let's back up here just a minute. You kept saying they, did you say Bessie? 
Yeah. So one of the groups, you know, Bessie, the Bureau of Safety and Environmental Enforcement is the regulator and the United States Coast Guard is the other regulator. So they have a shared regulatory responsibility offshore. But in many cases, we're, we collaborate with them as well. So you can almost say Center for Offshore Safety is kind of a force multiplier for the regulator because we work with the oil and gas industry, but we also work with the regulators. And so that, because at the end of the day, we want everybody to be safer. And so the member companies are the oil and gas companies, but some of the time it's easier for us to go directly within COS to go directly to the regulators to have some of those different conversations and we'll facilitate the conversations with the industry, with the regulators as well. That's a very important role because it needs to be a partnership and not, well, in fact, the whole culture of of safety, we talk about it all the time on this program is you got to get away from the what I call traffic cop mentality. And uh, there needs to be this proper attitude that, hey, you know, it's not on one end, what can I get by with? And on the other end, what can I catch you doing? You know, that sort of thing. That's not what coming home safe is all about. And we've got to come together on these things. And it's got to be a partnership, not a, you know. Us versus them. Exactly, exactly. So it sounds like you guys are helping facilitate that. Yeah, and I think that's where being in the Coast Guard before and coming from that regulator perspective and understanding that coming into you know the job that I'm in, it, I think it really helps because I'm kind of a, a neutral party now, you could say, where I didn't work specifically for one oil and gas company. In the Coast Guard, they were a part, but a bigger part is Bureau of Safety Environmental Enforcement. And so part of it is building those professional relationships with others and being able to understand who's doing which parts and which subject matter experts you want to be able to pull in to the different aspects that you're working on. You know, a huge thing that Center for Oscar Safety deals with is the management systems. And so we have a couple different things that we do related to that. One, we actually are the accreditation body where we actually accredit third-party companies to go do audits of the oil and gas companies. So that they have a truly an independent third party doing an audit of their safety management systems. And then those reports get submitted back to Bessie. And so, but you want to be able to ensure that we provide good guidance to the folks putting together the audits, putting the, you know, developing the audit, how you're going to do your audit plan, your report within your audit, and then your corrective action plans. How are you going to fix things that have been identified within your management system to be able to support offshore operations. And so we we need to collaborate with Bessie for some of that so that you don't have rock management, you know, where somebody might put in an audit plan or put in a report and Bessie goes, ah, we don't like that. You didn't meet that. You know, that's not what good enough. The regulations, you know, spell out the basics, but then you obviously need a little bit more detailed information to kind of interpret what the regulations are saying and provide a little bit more detail and insight related to those. And so that's one of the other huge roles that we play within the Center for Offshore Safety. Okay. So now, obviously, I know the U.S. Coast Guard deals with the U.S. Is Bessie strictly U.S.? Do you have these things in place in international waters, or are we just talking about the United States? So we're just talking within the United States. So most of it is within the Gulf of Mexico, but you do have some off the coast of California that Bessie deals with. And then Bessie also has some up in Alaska as well. And so for Bessie, 
you know, their operations, you know, are probably going to be expanding too as they look at wind farms and those types of things with, you know, potential management systems related to wind farms that are being looked at, you know, on the East Coast and different areas. But for the most of their operations are within the Gulf of Mexico. And for the Center for Offshore Safety, our focus is the United States side of the Gulf of Mexico on the outer continental shelf. However, this plethora of information, this wealth of information that you guys put together and have made available on your website, that could be easily applicable wherever you are, all across in international waters as well. You're exactly correct, Russell. One of the things we did this year is for the Center for Offshore Safety, we'll give it, we'll issue a certificate to companies that have successfully, I would maybe say successfully completed their audit related to their you know, safety environmental management system, and they've completed or, you know, corrected all their different things that were identified as, you know, areas for improvement type of thing or nonconformities really is the audit term. And so what happens is if you have nonconformities or different things that have been identified during an audit and they need to be corrected, then once a company has corrected those, then you'll bring in somebody to verify that those have been corrected part of your corrective action plan. And then you provide that information to us at the Center for Offshore Safety and we'll issue you a certificate that shows that, hey, and so it's kind of another, it's kind of, you know, you mentioned earlier, the regulations is the bare minimum requirements. But if you have companies that truly have a safety culture and they want to get better and be safer tomorrow, they are always looking at how do you continually improve? And so having a COS certificate kind of shows that, hey, you're kind of the next level up. You've really addressed all of your different aspects related to your management system. And this year, we kind of voted and approved that we could issue a a COS SEM certificate to anybody internationally, worldwide. If they were to go through and say, hey, we got audited through the RP75 SEMS management system, corrected any deficiencies that were identified and, and completed those, they could request a certificate from us as well. I tell you what, Russell, we're going to have to charge twice for this show today. (laughs) I really appreciate you coming on and letting everybody know. As I say, this has not just been interesting. I think this is valuable. So if I want to avail myself of all this information, I go to the website. Is that right? That's correct. You come to our website. Give me the website. What is it? Center for Offshore Safety. Dot org. That's just it. Center for Offshore Safety.org. Okay. We'll put that in our show notes. We'll also put your LinkedIn URL so anybody can contact you directly through LinkedIn if they want to, or they can go to the website. As we close this thing out, Russell, I have to ask you, you got any cool Coast Guard stories? Uh- <laughs> There's more than one, you know, but you never know where you're going to live. Oftentimes you put in your dream sheet and and then the Coast Guard says, here's where you're sending you, you know, so I've been in the mountains in Colorado Springs and then the beaches in Jacksonville, Florida. And then it's just, you know, it's interesting, you know, I crawl around a lot of tanks and ships and, and different aspects. And then you're dealing with an oil spill response, you know, and then my last job, I used to joke, it's not every day that you take a helicopter to get to work when you're flying offshore to do an inspection. Right. But now what are you doing in the mountains of Colorado Springs? So ironically, I was working with the Department of Defense and their U.S. Northern Command. 
that was you know, created after the tragic events of 9-11. But a lot of DOD, what they do as well is they, they integrate for natural disasters, different types of events that happen within the United States for how the National Guard and how Department of Defense might be able to integrate during uh, hurricanes, different earthquakes, natural disasters, and those types of things. And the Coast Guard works with the public and emergency management every single day. So they brought in some of the Coast Guard folks and embedded us within the command. The command was about 2,000 people, and they had about 20 active-duty Coast Guard folks that were out there working with them to be able to help integrate and just to bring that different perspective to how they you know, develop and be able to support the United States and the country. Wow. Well, hey, everybody. I'm very confident you're going to be glad you tuned into this. I want to thank everyone for listening. I want to again remind you that this podcast would not be possible if it were not for our sponsor, Anderson Hauser. Please tell them thank you for sponsoring the show by going to our OGGN Anderson Hauser website, which you can find the link to that in the show notes. So register for our monthly giveaway. Also follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter and that contact info you can also find in the show notes. Please tune in again next week for another episode of Anderson Hauser's Oil and Gas HSE podcast, a production of the Oil and Gas Global Network. Anderson Hauser is your reliable U.S. and international based partner for measurement instrumentation services and solutions. We are your people for process automation. See you next time. Tune in next week for another engaging episode of the Oil & Gas HSE podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com.